Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Deuteronomy 33 and come to verse 12. This is a, a magnificent promise. I believe this is a promise for the day in our faith checkbook, if I'm recalling correctly. Well, I'm sure it is. I read that this morning. Deuteronomy 33, verse 12. Now look at this promise. It says, And of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord, this is Benjamin, The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him, and the Lord shall cover him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. I think dwelling between his shoulders means that the Lord is going to carry him, carry his burden in one sense. But here's a, a magnificent promise of safety. Every time I drive down Interstate 95, I think of, I, I thank the Lord for his o overruling providence and his safety. <laughs> Did you ever drive up and down 95? Well, it's uh, all the police are sitting over in the parking lots at the uh, Publix instead of, I don't know why they're not out on Interstate 95 out there, but uh, uh, don't you think the Lord has promised us safety, hasn't he? And I believe that includes just uh, physical safety, protecting us from uh, uh, evil men, evildoers, unjust men, uh, violent men. Uh, one of the signs of the end times, by the way, is a tremendous rise in murder as we look at this tribulation today. It's a, we see a very, very wicked society. And we see all, uh, uh, I think we see so many, I think what we call foreshadowings of the tribulation. Uh, there's no signs now uh, for the rapture, which is our next event that we're waiting on. When could the rapture occur? Anytime. Anytime. You know, it could occur before this class is over today. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you looking more for your disappearing or his appearing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some people are just trying to stay a, a day ahead of the sheriff. You know, they want to get out before they... But uh, we need to be looking for his appearing, right? Yes. His glorious appearing. All right, but what a promise that is. The Lord has promised us physical safety and how we certainly need it as time goes on. This is becoming a very, in fact, the Word of God prophesies that the last days will be perilous times. Uh, if you ever watch the evening news, it's unbelievable the violence in these big cities, isn't it? But what's happening, we're seeing it really in rural areas now. Uh, but uh, we have this promise as his children that we, the Lord's promise is safety. But um, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4. Morning. Now we looked four, in 4 and 5, we've gotten through now 1 through 3. We looked at the seven churches. We want to come now to chapter 4. And uh, let's first of all read, uh, just read about the first three or four verses. Revelation chapter 4. And here in chapter 4, I believe we see that the rapture has already taken place. I don't believe when the angels tell John to come up here that that's the rapture. Uh, but uh, it, it appears that the rapture has already taken place. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven... <coughs> And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. 
So John now is being called up to heaven, uh, perhaps in a vision, but uh, the, uh, the Lord wants to show him the future. This angel wants to show him the future events. But uh, when we begin to look at what's going on in heaven, we see that the, uh, I believe the church has already been raptured. Now, John coming up there, I don't believe is equivalent to the rapture. I believe the rapture has, is taking place about this time. But look at verse 2. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Of course, this is Christ. This is God. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. It's from the, the, the beauties of heaven, the, the throne of God. And now look at verse four. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. The idea there in the Greek is these are thrones from which men, those are sitting on those thrones are judges. Uh, we saints have been promised that we'll, we'll, if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him, right? We'll be reigning with him in the millennium. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats of the thrones I saw four and twenty elders. Now this is a great subject of debate among the prophecy students. Uh, is it uh, the uh, 24, representing the 24 uh, tribes, or the 24 uh, uh, Jew, uh, the priests rather? Is it representing uh, 12 uh, Jewish elders and 12 apostles? Uh, what, uh, what exactly do they represent? But look at, uh, look at the description. Now, I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. Now, that's the promise that is given to believers that will be sitting in white raiment. I believe the judgment seat of Christ has already taken place here. And I believe this is representative of the 12 apostles and 12 uh, Jewish elders. But it looks like here we see saints already raptured, already in heaven. And one of the proofs is the white raiment, which is a picture of the righteousness of Christ, which are given, I think, after the judgment seat of Christ when Christians have been judged for their works, uh, not for sin, but for their works. Now look at some other things. And they had on their head crowns of gold. Has, has God not promised crowns to believers? Crowns of gold? I think another evidence that this is the church. And then, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps. All this is speaking now of judgment. Understand that the book of the Revelation is a book, primarily a book of judgment. Uh, the lovely Lord Jesus that came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, that The Lord came not to judge. He said, I came to save. Didn't he say that when he first came? And so he came and he walked among men. He raised the dead. He healed the blind. Uh, he, he, healed, he healed and loved sinners and sought out sinners. And uh, so he came not to judge, but to save. Now, at the second coming, he's coming back to judge. And several times, uh, this idea of, of lightnings and thunders and so on, these are all suggestive of, of ju judgment and severe judgment. How anybody can read about these judgments in the tribulation period and not be burdened about lost loved ones is beyond me. What a horrifying thing this is. We'll look at this in just a second. But I believe that the rapture has taken place. Now look up here just a minute. Here are four 
Here are five, four or five primary rapture passages here. And the most important one is this here. This is the single most important <coughs> rapture passage in all the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now look at the, Let's turn to that passage. Uh, second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But I would not have Paul writing, of course, now says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died. A Christian, uh, this is when you say asleep, Christians sleeping, it means they've died. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. <laughs> For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Do you see again how the, uh, the rapture seemingly has already taken place here? When the Lord comes back at the second coming, he's bringing saints back with him. Those saints, uh, are, those saints are dressed in white linen, riding white horses. The rapture has already occurred. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go ahead of them which are asleep. When the Lord comes back and uh, we're raptured out, we have sort of a six-foot head start on those in the grave, don't we? Well, the Lord's, uh, he's a God of equity and fairness. Uh, when the dead rise six feet and come to ground level, then we'll all join together and go up at the same time. That's only fair, isn't it? <laughs> all right? And so that means we're not going to be going ahead of those that are in the grave. They'll be resurrected and then together we'll be all gathered or caught up together with him in the where? In the air. Uh, some Bible scholars, they, they uh, let me give you a phrase. We've talked about it. I believe that the Bible teaches what we call a pre, that word means before, pre-tribulation, means that the church, those of us that are saved, we're going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation. So if you believe that Christians, the church is going to be raptured out before the tribulation occurs, they would call you a pre-tribulationist. Now, there's some people that teach a, mid, a mid-wrath view. Christians will stay until the middle of the tribulation and then be raptured out. And then some of the old... Uh, Millennialists is what they call post-trib. The Christians will not be raptured out until the end of the tribulation, at the end of the seven years. And then they say that, well, the Christians will be raptured up, will meet the Lord in the air, and then turn around and come back again. I don't know why you would need to go up in the air and then come back, do you? But that's what they teach. They call that the historic premillennialism or... Uh, Oh, they got two or three names for it. But anyhow, I believe the Bible teaches on the basis of what we're looking at, these passages, and that Christians will be raptured before the tribulation. So we believe that uh, the Bible teaches a pre-tribulationism and a pre-millennialism. That the Lord Jesus Christ will come back before the millennium. 
And when he comes back, we'll be coming back with him. And dressed in white linens, we hardly look like an army, do we? Dressed in white linen, uh, that is a picture of the uh, imputation of the perfect righteousness of Christ. And we're, when you're a Christian, uh, we'll be dressed in white linen, suggesting that our righteousness is perfect. It's the righteousness of Christ, all right? By the way, I keep writing this up and forget to tell you. There's a, what you call eisegesis. This is eisegesis here. Or, no, this, I've got it back. Uh, hold on. When you exegete the Bible, they call that eisegesis. It means you read in, you try to find the meaning of the Word of God and pull the meaning out of the Scriptures. You use the grammar and the syntax. You look at the Greek and so on, and you read it very carefully. And you let, you are trying to determine what the Holy Spirit means by a passage. And so you're trying to draw the meaning out of the Scripture. It means to draw out in one sense. What we're trying to do when we come to the Bible, we're trying to determine what the Holy Spirit means by a passage. And so it's very important that you, uh, that you intensively, you study the grammar, you study the history, who was the book written to, uh, what's the meaning of the, uh, the, the syntax, the sentences, the paragraphs, what's the Word of God saying? And as they say, uh, context is king. Context, context, context. There's no more important principle than studying what does the uh, surrounding verses mean? You always have to find that, uh, interpret a Bible in its context. And sometimes the whole context can be the book, a whole book. Or sometimes the context can be the whole Bible. Over 150 times, I've read different figures, but at least 150 times the Word of God says that we're saved by faith alone. That's the context of the Bible. You can't add anything to salvation, right? Baptism, church attendance, good morals, all those things are good. I think you ought to be baptized. I think you ought to practice good morality. <laughs> I think you ought to be in church. But those things don't save you. You do those things because you are saved, right? Okay? So that's called exegesis. This is the way we ought to approach the Bible. We want to go to the Scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us and help us to exegete, help us to discover what the Holy Spirit intends. All right? Then there's those that are what we call eisegetes or eisegesis where you come to the Bible and impose your view on the Bible. You've already sort of got your mind made up what you think the Bible is going to say, so you impose that on the Bible. And you don't let the Bible speak for itself. And so you see a lot of this today of what you call eisegesis. Just sort of taking your preconceived system. I don't care if it's dispensationalism or Calvinism or what it is. Be careful about imposing your preconceived notions on the scriptures. Let the word of God speak for themselves. So when you see this word, it means to, you sort of impose your view on the scripture. Sometimes they call these people philosophical theologians. You bring your philosophy and you impose it on the Bible. You don't let the Bible speak for itself. This is a, this is, this is a mishandling of the word of God, Okay. Some people, some people teach that. Uh, but we're coming back 
millennium. Right, right. Uh-huh. right. Okay. We will come back, but we're not going to go. Uh, yes, we'll come back with the Lord when he comes back at the second coming. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is the, pri- this is the primary, uh, we're talking about these elders now. They're dressed in white robes and they uh, have golden crowns on their head and they're seated on thrones. All these things I suggest, this is what's promised to the church, right? So when you open up Revelation 4 and 5, we see the rapture has already taken place, in my opinion, all right? Now, let, we're looking at these rapture verses. Look at um, second, or 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Says, but, uh, come on down to uh, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, some suggest that uh, the only people that will hear that trump and hear that shout are believers. For a long time, they, uh, they talked about the secret rapture that uh, without any warning, very, very quickly, and the word of God talks about this being very quick, uh, that uh, the uh, Christians will be withdrawn from this old earth in the, in the twinkling of an eye. So we believe that the rapture will sort of be secret. People will look around and all these people are gone. All these uh, babies are gone from the uh, nursery <laughs> and all those believers, all of a sudden, they're, they're no longer here. And uh, so anyhow, that's uh, some, for some reason, they, they, or they call that the secret rapture because the only people that will know about it and know what's happened are believers, all right? Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and the dead uh, and descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see how this is a totally different context. When we come back with the Lord Jesus Christ at the second coming, riding white horses uh, with King Jesus, It's a totally different context, isn't it? He's going to destroy the armies of Antichrist and so on. Uh, He's going to judge the Gentiles. And there's some debate whether the Jews will be judged. At the end, when the Lord comes back at the second coming, what's going to be? One third of the Jews will be alive. Two thirds of the Jews will be killed. Some will be martyred uh, during the tribulation period. One third of the Jews will still be living. What are those one-third? In fact, the Word of God says all, very categorical language, all Jews will do what when they see King Jesus coming back? They will mourn for him. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And all Israel will be saved, according to Romans, and so on. Does that mean every single Jew will be saved? Well, if the Word of God says all, I tend to believe all, don't you? And so will it be necessary then to judge the Jews after the tribulation? (laughs) They've all gotten saved. It won't be necessary to judge them, will it? So the Gentiles will be judged. Then all those believers alive at the end of the tribulation will enter into the millennium. In the millennium, everyone will be saved. That's one part, one reason for the judgment of the Gentiles to see who qualifies to go into the millennium. You must be saved, must be born again. And so in the beginning of the millennium, everybody will be saved. 
and then they will give birth, be married and giving birth in the, in the millennium. And then not everybody who is born in the millennium will be saved. In fact, a great many will not be saved. They'll sort of be secret rebels. We talked about this before, rebelling against God and so on. Okay. So anyhow, look at, uh, let's look at some, quickly some other rapture passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Uh, that's a rapture passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. In fact, that whole, there's a whole, the whole context there dealing with, I think, the, the rapture. And 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, what are we, what are we going to be changed into? When we see him, we will be like him. I can't get my little peanut of a brain around that, can you? that I'll be like Jesus and inherit him. He has an inheritance for us. But we shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. And a moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trump and the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. What a wonderful prospect that is. And then come over to... Um, this is uh, John 14, uh, to let not your heart be troubled. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 is a rapture passage. Let not your heart be troubled and so on. I go to prepare a place for you. And uh, I think that's talking about the rapture. When the Lord, uh, when we're, the Lord's leaving, he's going to prepare a place for us. And then just uh, come over to Revelation 3.10. We looked at this last week. The Revelation... Chapter 3, there's a promise given to the church of Philadelphia. And I think it's one of the great rapture passages in all the Word of God, how the church is not going to be here during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, because that uh, promise now to the church of Philadelphia. This is one of the two churches where the Lord has no criticisms. Uh, this was a wonderful, wonderfully obedient church. And the Lord gives this church, uh, by the way, all these promises, the churches apply to all the churches, all, apply to all Christians. But uh, in verse 10, it says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour. That's an extended period of time now. I will keep thee uh, from the hour of temptation. That word means trial. God's promising the church of Philadelphia, that they won't have to go through tribulation. is going to spare them from the hour of trial from the tribulation period, which shall come upon all the world. Which part of the world is the, uh, those terrible judgments of the seals, trumpets, and bowls going to cover? Going to cover all the world, is it not? But here's a promise now that these believers won't have to go through that trial which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Remember now the, revel the judgments, the revelation is a book of God's terrible, terrible, uh, terrible judgment on Israel for her rebellion, for her apostasy. It's primarily a book of judgment. Now there's probably the greatest revival in all human history. 144,000 Jewish missionaries probably led to the Lord with the two witnesses. That's another great subject of debate. <laughs> But uh, probably today, uh, probably I would be surprised if we would have 
probably 10,000 solid missionaries that give the gospel to people. They got some liberal missionaries on the field. But I'd be surprised if we have 10, 15, at most maybe 20,000 missionaries on the field today around the world. Can you imagine what uh, kind of revival we would see with 144,000 missionaries giving the gospel all over the earth? The gospel will be preached over the whole earth. Some people take that tribulation promise and apply it to this time saying, well, every... The Lord won't come back till everybody on the earth has heard the gospel. No, that's not what the word of God is teaching. But during the tribulation, then the whole world will hear every tongue and tribe and nation and so on. All right. So uh, that's another great, uh, I think, another great rapture passage there. But the key passage is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That's the rapture. All right. Anybody have any questions about the rapture? Okay. That word rapture now means a... Uh, uh, basically sort of a snatching away. And the rapture uh, will take place, and then after the rapture, then the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed. So uh, we, the next uh, event is the rapture. And then after Christians are raptured out, then the next event will be Antichrist signing a treaty with Israel. And we don't know, uh, we won't be here when the Antichrist is revealed. But the Word of God talks about uh, uh, Christians uh, being, uh, being taken out. And they say there, there's two signs. It says that the Antichrist will not be revealed until the apostasy. And the Greek word there can very much suggest the idea of, of a snatching away. Now, some of the old Bible students of uh, prophecy say that, well, it means that there'll be great, great apostasy. That, people, that the church will grow more liberal and more apostate. And then after this, gradual apostasy, then the Antichrist will be revealed. Why is uh, gradual apostasy a very poor sign? Why, in many ways, I think it's very unhelpful. <laughs> We've had apostasy uh, ever since the, uh, the New Testament apostolic period, haven't we? I think that word apostasy, I think it literally means the rapture. Uh, now, there will be gradual apostasy. You see it already. Isn't it amazing? You better, you know, the, the missionary organization you were, you were supporting five years ago, you better check. People drift so fast and the apostasy is so fast. Uh, that, by the way, uh, they, uh, they say that the, the average institution lasts about 30 years before it begins to lose the integrity of its original mission. Uh, if you've been supporting a college or you've been supporting a mission board or a Christian camp or whatever, uh, you better check up on it. It may be, it may be drifting. Well, that's the, that's the word of God. Things are going to get worse. And evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, aren't they? We're not going to Christianize society. <laughs> uh, it's obvious that that's not, that's not working, right? But uh, okay, that's the rapture. And I believe the, uh, ne the next event will be that the Christians will be taken out and be taken out very quickly. Now look at your handout that I've given you here. It says the seven-year tribulation. And this chart now, or this graph, will cover chapters 6 through 19. And uh, these are all the, uh, the judgments. You have three series of judgments. The judgments of the seals, the judgment of the trumpets, and the judgment of the bowls or vials. And all those judgments, those three series of judgments are all sequential. 
They don't all happen at the same time. And there may be a little bit of overlapping at the end, but uh, these are sequential. Uh, they develop chronologically, all right? Just like the handout that I gave, if you just keep that handout in mind, it'll give you somewhere, give you some idea of where you are as you're going through the book of the Revelation. Now look at the, uh, these uh, judgments, by the way, increase in severity. The trumpet judgments are more, more severe than the seal judgments. And the most severe of all are the bold or vile judgments, which seem to be aimed directly at Antichrist and his followers, that last series. Now, some of these prophecy scholars, they like to put uh, the seals and the trumpets in the first half and then the bowls over in the second half. Now, John Walbert likes to put the seals, trumpets, and bowls over in the second half. The point is we don't really know. <laughs> All right. This is, is kind of hard to determine exactly where these things take place. Now, what I've given you here is my best uh, guess. I believe all the seal judgments take place over in the first three and a half years. And then the, uh, the, the sixth seal is at the midpoint. And that's then the, uh, the seventh seal announces the trumpet judgments, which I believe uh, go over into the second three and a half years with the bold judgments. If you look at the handout, that's kind of what I've outlined here. Now, by the way, during this the tribulation, the seven years, the first and second half, they estimate that about 50% of the world's population will be destroyed. Now, where are we? About 7 billion people in the world today? Uh, are we about 7 billion? Maybe moving close to 8 billion? I don't know. Let's just say 7 billion. How many people is that going to be destroyed during the tribulation in, a, in the seven-year period? You cut seven billion and a half, let's say three and a half billion, maybe three to four billion people being destroyed. What a horrifying, horrifying. When the God of judgment judges, it's horrifying judgment. It's terrible judgment, is it not? Uh, uh, when, uh, when the Lord comes, he comes uh, first to seek and to save that which is lost. And when he comes to judge, it's going to be a horrifying, terrible judgment like the world has never seen before. Now look at the midpoint. Uh, you see the uh, well. You see the seven. You see the seals. And the first seal, Antichrist, covenant of peace. The, um, the, that man on the white horse there in Revelation six is the Antichrist. It's not Christ. Or he's, he'll begin to move and begin to consolidate power and will begin to in, involve himself in war and conquest and so on. And then the second seal will be the red horse, and this will be open warfare on the earth. So the first three and a half years will be war, uh, great uh, judgments that are very severe, but mainly war and famine and uh, pestilence and so on. And then uh, you see the black horse in seal three, and then the, the fourth seal is the pale horse, where one-fourth of the earth's population will be destroyed. Now look at the sixth seal the death of believers and their plea for vengeance. The souls under the altar there. So we know that a great many saints uh, who will not take the seal of Antichrist will be martyred during this first three and a half years. And then uh, um, the sixth seal, it be a great convulsion, the earthquake and so on. And that sixth seal without reading it is probably looks like it may be an overview of the future of the millennium. 
talks about the sun being black and so on and the moon turning red and stars falling from heaven, perhaps suggesting a meteor shower and so on. And so, um, but then you, so I think at uh, the sixth seal is sort of at the midpoint. Then the seventh seal will announce the judgments. By the way, there's a, a 30 minute period of silence after the sixth seal. And it's preparing, uh, it's sort of the calm before the terrible, terrible storm of God's judgment comes. I think preparing people psychologically for the terrible judgment to come. Now look at some things that happen at the midpoint. Look over on the left-hand side there. Satan will be cast from heaven. My question is, what in the world is he doing in heaven? Anyhow, I didn't know he was up there, did you? For a while. <laughs> but uh, Satan's up in heaven. And God's going to cast him out. And he's going to be so angry, he's going to take it out on who? Take it out on Israel. Chapter 12 is Israel and so on, being persecuted by the, by the devil, by Antichrist, all right? Then you have the abomination of desolation. When Antichrist goes into the temple, stops the Jewish worship, sets himself up, probably sets a, a temple or an image of himself in the temple and demands worship. And that God hates it. It's an abomination. And that abomination is going to make everything desolate. Israel's worship will be stopped. They won't be able to offer their sacrifices or anymore. So it's the abomination that makes desolate. And then ecclesiastical Babylon will be destroyed. Probably at the very beginning of that three and a half years, the false prophet uh, or that uh, system will be destroyed. And I believe it's an amalgamation of Roman Catholicism and uh, corrupt liberal Protestantism, what we call Christendom today. And uh, so ecclesiastical Babylon, the false prophet, his system, it suggests that perhaps he will live a little bit longer, but the system will be destroyed probably near the first three and a half years. Because Antichrist is going to set up his idol perhaps in, in the temple and demand worship. And so uh, that uh, means that uh, he will not be uh, tolerating any religious competition. So he'll destroy the religious system that would be somewhat of competition to him as he asserts himself as deity, the Antichrist. Anti means against Christ, opposed to Christ, and against Christ. So he's called the Antichrist. Then there'll be two witnesses that are slain. These are two very important people. Another subject is debate is when are, these going, when are these two witnesses going to be witnessing? I think they're going to be great witnesses during the first uh, three and a half years. Many people wonder, well, where do these 144,000 Jewish missionaries come from all of a sudden? Well, possibly uh, these two witnesses are going to preach with such power that they'll see these Jews convert and they'll become missionaries, 144,000 missionaries. Uh, the bottom line is we don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know about Bible prophecy. And then, uh, then, the, then right after, in the second three and a half years, I believe the terrible trumpet judgments begin. And if you look at the trumpet judgments, I just sort of give a brief phrase to give you uh, the essence of what the judgment's about. Trumpet one, one-third of the earth's inhabitants will be slain. Trumpet two, one-third of the sea is turned to blood. One-third of the earth's sea creatures perish. Trumpet uh, three, one-third of all the earth's fresh waters contaminated, destroying life, just one-third. 
Now, in the bold judgments, there'll be one, uh, one fourth, and be a different figure. But anyhow, look at uh, in four, the trumpet, the sun, moon, and stars are darkened, causing unbelievable disaster. Now, the last three trumpets are called woes because, again, this, uh, the severity is intensifying, is increasing. And so they call the last three trumpet judgments woe judgments because of the tremendous severity. Look, look at uh, the fifth trumpet. Locust-like creatures emerge out of the abyss and torment people without killing them for five months as they roam the earth. What a horrifying prospect that is. Then the second woe is 200,000 demonically empowered men from the east will destroy one-third of mankind. Remember the Euphrates will dry up so this great army can come across. But these people are demonically inspired, uh, energized by Satan, and they'll uh, murder and ravage all across that path by coming to Jerusalem. And then... Um, the third trumpet is the announcement, by the way, of the bowl or vile judgments. These are the most severe of all. And then the bowl judgments, again, these are directed primarily to Antichrist and his followers. They're also called the vile, bowl judgments, vile judgments. Uh, Word of God calls them the last plagues. But look at these terrible judgments. Terrible sores poured out on all Antichrist worshipers. Bold to all the seas are turned to blood, killing all sea creatures. All fresh water of the earth turned to blood, and bowl three. Bowl four, intense heat from the sun causing intense suffering. Bowl five, supernatural darkness over the kingdom of Antichrist. Bowl six, the Euphrates rivers dried up, and these, uh, now this, this army can come across. And then the uh, bowl seven, great convulsions. And the greatest earthquake in all human history will occur in the seventh bowl judgment. Never been an earthquake in all history quite like this one. There'll be hailstones that'll weigh 100 pounds. What a terrifying, terrifying judgment. And then, of course, Babylon will be destroyed, and Babylon will be destroyed in one hour to destroy this. this uh, pro I, I think probably old Babylon will be rebuilt. And it'll be the religious and commercial center, one world commercialism. If you read your paper today, are we not saying all commerce being centralized into one, uh, one entity? Uh, all, uh, you know, if, if you don't take a, you don't, don't get vaccinated, then get you fired, right? If you don't get your, you see where they, uh, I believe it's in New York, uh, New York, they fired 850 teachers because they wouldn't get vaccinated. We're all being taught obedience, are we not? How to be obedient. If you don't get vaccinated, then you can't work. Uh, pretty soon, uh, all those saints of God are, will have the mark of God during the tribulation, and then that'll be imitated by Satan. He'll demand that his people be marked, the 666, and so on. But you see so much of this training for obedience today, as it will be in the great tribulation, is it not? No, we're just being trained to be obedient. You take your shot. You can't say that, that election was stolen. You'll get fired for saying that election was stolen, right? Yeah. Really. They're firing people just for saying that. You see, well, that uh, football coach of the Washington Commanders made a statement about the January 6th. He said it was just a little dust up. It wasn't a real attempt to overthrow the government, and that's exactly what it was. It wasn't even a dust up. That's being charitable. Uh, it's not even that. <laughs> 
I've never heard of people wanting to overthrow a government and not have any guns with them. Have you? Yeah. So, but you're seeing how all these things are preparing the psychological climate. Now, I don't want to predict, but I believe the Lord's coming back sometime soon. If he doesn't, I'm not sure I understand what the Bible's saying. All right. So anyhow, over on the back now, look at the very bottom of the page on the back side. Prophecy scholars give about seven different scenarios for the chronology of the Armageddon campaign. Now, what I've given you is a very tentative outline. Now, by the way, when we come to night after the uh, tribulation, well, I, and hell, let's go back to heaven now. The saints have been raptured up into heaven. And uh, then there's, I think, very soon after the rapture, there'll be the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll be judged for our uh, work, for the work we've done or the lack of work. And then uh, after the three and a half years, I believe you'll see the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's being treated there in the first part of chapter 19. And then uh, about verse 11, then we see heaven opened up and he who is faithful and true will be mounted on a white horse and he'll lead the saints back in white linen. All human history is moving towards Revelation 19, 11 through 16. All history is moving toward the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All history is pointing to Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, the return of Christ. And then the second, last part of that chapter is going to deal more with the uh, King Jesus and his uh, garments uh, stained with blood and so on, coming up from Basra. Basra was the capital of Edom, the modern Petra, and so on. And God's people, when the Satan is cast out of heaven and he begins to assault and attack the people of God, uh, God's people will flee. A lot of them will flee to Basra uh, for protection. And it was seen, again, we don't know these events. We don't know exactly when, what's going to take place. This chronology, as far as the campaign of Armageddon, is very, very, very difficult to figure out. And uh, that's why there's uh, seven, eight different scenarios by different prophecy scholars. Uh, the bottom line is we don't know the exact chronology of some of these events, but we know what's going to happen. Amen. All right. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, didn't we? We got 14, uh, chapter 4, all the way through chapter 19 today. All right. We're going to next week, good Lord willing, we'll look at the millennium, chapter 20. And it's a profoundly important chapter, chapter 20, telling us about the millennial, uh, the reign of Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Our Father God, we're thankful for your precious truth today. And uh, Father God, we pray, Lord, that above all, we'll be ready uh, for your coming. Help us, Father, to be faithful. And uh, now bless the preaching hour. May the word of God be alive and searching and uh, do its work. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.